Hello everyone, my name is Christian. Welcome back to Tech Point. Today our guest is Tracy, the program director at Tiny Seed and the author of the book Hello Web Design. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. Really excited to meet you. At first, please uh, introduce yourself. Uh, please tell us more about yourself. Yeah, so like I said, um, I'm the author of Hello Web Design. This is a book I wrote probably four or five years ago. Uh, and I think that it's a really good, I mean, as an author, a good evergreen book that helps folks who don't have a design background, so entrepreneurs or developers or other folks that use and use design in their you know day-to-day -day life, um, if they wanna learn just like a little bit more about design, how to use those principles like grid and um, and white space and whatnot uh, in their design work, it's a book that kind of leads you through that journey and gets you just enough skills so that you can be more effective in your day-to-day -day work. Uh, so that's my book. I'm also the program director of Tiny Seed, and that's a startup accelerator for SaaS bootstrappers. So that's my day job, and then my side job is working on and promoting Hello Web Design. That's awesome. As uh, for the Tiny Seed, we'll also invite Alex to the podcast, but today we'll be yeah. talking about design. So, uh, firstly, I wanted to ask you why do you think it's important for founders to learn design rather than hiring somebody? And uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, being a founder, you're juggling a lot of different things. And oftentimes founders don't have a lot of money to work with, even if you've raised money. Um, you know, sometimes the money is usually better spent on hiring salespeople or hiring other roles um, rather than design. So um, the design side of things is one of those things that's usually left uh, up to team members who are not, you know, specialized in design. So. Off, you know, very early stages, perhaps it's just the founder working on their business and they need to get a landing page up or they need to formate their slides for a tech presentation or they need to work on their pricing page and figure out the kind of principles there to create a, a pricing page that works better for them, that convinces more people to buy their product, which could, <clears throat> you know, affect their bottom line and make their product more effective. So by knowing both the visual side of things and how that affects conversion and knowing user experience and also how that affects the customer experience and how people find and use your app. Both of those skills, you don't need to be an expert on. You can just learn just enough in those areas to get you you know, 80% of the way until you're ready, until you're at the point with your, your, found, your, um, your startup that you can hire someone. Absolutely. And probably that makes it easier to find the right uh, person. But I want to, mm -hmm. to ask you, what do you think are the most common mistakes that uh, founders make with their uh, SaaS landing pages? Yeah, it's, you know, there's a few things that I see often um, in my day to day job at TinySea. A lot of the things I do at TinySea at this accelerator is evaluate the, um, the folks that uh, join the portfolio, look at their landing pages and give su suggestions on how they can improve it. And some of the things I see the most from these founders who have taken on this design role and are working, uh, uh, working without a designer are, is usually a lack of white space. It's tempting to cram as much information onto the page as possible because you feel like you're like, okay, if I just add yet another paragraph or I move things together, I can add more visuals and more things. And then it just kind of, it creates a more chaotic experience that makes it harder for the customer to go through that page and figure out what to do. Whitespace is a tool that you can use to create a story on your page uh, so you can you can direct the eye by uh, giving you know the eye landing places uh, without having like chaos of jumping everywhere 
So you can go like to the logo, to the headline, to the subheadline, to the CTA. You know, that's generally the top part for most people web pages, um, most people's like landing pages. And white space is there, so if you you know, so you can kind of direct the eye to those areas. Having space around those things means that the eye can more effectively land on those items than you know, bouncing around the page. So yep. white space is one number one. Um, number two is usually too much content, and that usually shows up where folks want to write, you know. A, a list of features for their startup. And it's tempting to write all the reasons that they can think of, of why that feature is good and that paragraphs get longer and longer. What happens with long paragraphs is that um, it usually gets skipped by the person reading them. If it's too long, it looks overwhelming. The majority of web users are people who are skimming, looking at headlines, looking at the things that pop out to them, which is the other reason why white space uh, makes sense because it helps things pop more by having more space around them. And a long, dense paragraph is almost never looks worth reading in full. So breaking up those paragraphs, making them shorter, making them easier to skim by having more uh, effective headlines, using strategic bolding, using things like yeah. bullet points can make a web page easier to go through um, and more likely that the customer who's going through the web page will actually read the content you've written. So it's hard to like, you know, it's hard for an entrepreneur to cut down their, um, what they've written a good, a uh, rule of thumb is two to three sentences per paragraph max. So if you see yep. yourself going farther than that, it usually means you've written too much and you need to break that up a bit. That's awesome. I see that you are super passionate about it and uh, I'm super excited to, to continue the conversation. And now more on the positive uh, side, I love to hear what's something good that they're uh, doing when doing la landing pages. Those are the mistakes, but how about the, the positive side? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a focus on your call to action to your CTAs. You know, this is something that can often get hidden. Uh, if your buttons are the same color as your web page, as your landing page, um, or it's you know uh, hidden within a lot of content or hidden within a lot of different items in the page. But a focus on the on the CTA. What is it? Do you want someone to do when they come on your landing page? What do you want to uh, track in your metrics. What is the number one thing that you want to to track when you're you're making these changes, so that you know that the changes you make are being effective. So if you know that adding more white space to the page, you know, and you're tracking your click through CTA, that one main button that's on the um, the hero image at the top of your page, and the you know the click through rate goes from like say 2.3 percent to 2.5 percent, then you know that that it was effective. So you can also focus on your CTAs in terms of the text that's on the CTAs, the mm -hmm. you know the way that you phrase the CTA button um, or the text. So sometimes people will use a generic quote submit, which is you know okay, but by focusing on the content on those CTAs, is it you know um, give me uh, give me so and so free item or uh, sign up to save 25% on you know speed of 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 the task you're trying to complete so say it's like a you know a podcasting studio like maybe your button says like record your podcast more effectively click here or something like that so like adding a little bit of marketing copying to your CTA is something you can work on and then making sure they're contrasting color and easy to find so by focusing a lot of your attention on the CTA what do you like making sure it's easy to find 
making sure that it has effective copy on it, making sure that you're tracking the metrics on that CTA so that you can test how well these changes are doing. Having all those three things in mind, um, if people just focus on that one thing, I think they'll definitely see a lift in their um, in their metrics and the way that things are effective. And then they can start focusing on the larger picture of the landing page. Great answer. And now just as a quick follow-up question, how do you think that AI will uh, impact uh, copywriting when it comes to CTAs? <laughs> will it be uh, too crowded? Will it be easier for founders to find the right CTAs? What's your take on that? That is a great question. Um, AI has been really interesting. And the way that I use AI in my, in my work as a professional designer is to write what I think is good copy. And then I check it by feeding into AI. And I can say like, you know, into these AI copywriting things and say like, okay, take this sentence and, uh, you know, just try a bunch of things, make it more effective, make it more clear and just see what it comes up because I can get tunnel vision with the things that I've write. And I think that they are, they're effective and it kind of takes a place of, of talking to a colleague and being like, hey, let's brainstorm a bunch of different ideas just in case I forgot something. But this way you can use AI and it's a lot faster. And you know, sometimes the thing that you've written could be the best one once you look at that one and all the other options, you're like, all right, cool, I think mine is best. Or you might stumble on something that you didn't think of, uh, a different way of phrasing something, a different way of doing things, um, and that can you know improve your copy. So I use it as double checking. I think it's useful to understand the principles first of what makes effective copy. And there's a lot of things online about how to write effective copy, um, especially around CTAs. So read up on that so you can evaluate the stuff that ChatGPT gives you uh, or AI, those copywriting tools give you to make sure that you uh, are choosing something that you think is gonna be effective, but then use that to double check the work that you've done and see if you can get any sort of like extra boost. Thanks for sharing. I wanted to ask you what is a design brand and how can uh, how, how it impacts your SaaS? How important is it? Yeah, so some folks jump into building their SaaS and they're, um, you know, sometimes it could be too focused on brand, you know, and maybe I, it's something I see some designers who jump into, who launching a startup and they wanna have like a really strong brand from the start um, and they focus on it a little bit more at the, you know, detriments to focusing on metrics or focusing on conversion or focusing on things that can actually, you know, how their customers are using the product. But for folks who are not aware about brand, um, the idea around brand is to make the things that you do visually look like it's a part of your company. So when you have a landing page and you have a, say a logo and you have a uh, backend site and you have a, a social media account, all those visual pieces, do they work together and look like they're a part of the same company? And that is the very basic way of thinking about brand. If someone can c pop onto your LinkedIn account and they're like, all right, I know that I am on the LinkedIn account for this company because it looks similar, it feels similar, it has the same, um, you know, properties in both the writing as well as the visuals as the company's website, then they know that they're on the same, they're on the right place. I see a lot of disconnects between landing pages because a lot of folks will spend a lot of time working on their landing pages and 
really working on making them high converting and then the actual product itself is perhaps a few versions old and there's a disconnect between the way mm. that the landing page looks because they've hired a designer or they worked on it themselves versus the interior product and when you have a disconnect between those two things it can be a detriment to your customers and could lead to higher churn because the customer doesn't know that or doesn't feel like it's the same product that's the same company. And that's one reason why I, when I work with folks who are working on landing page updates, mm -hmm. that they make sure that the changes they make in that landing page, and it could be just, just the fonts they're using, the colors they're using, and maybe some you know other visual things like the way that they do their lines and whatnot, and just making sure they're reflected on both the front end and the back end of the product so the customer can say, all right, I know these two are the same company, it's the same brand. That's super smart, wow, <laughs> thanks for sharing. Uh, going back to, to landing pages, what are the most important metrics that uh, we should track? Uh, definitely the CTA, like I mentioned before. Um, tracking how many customers are, it's, I mean, it's hard looking, when you're looking at a landing page, and this is easiest on SaaS because generally you're trying to get people to do something. They want them to mm -hmm. sign up for your product or say, click a button to get a quote. So once you've determined what you want the person to do, then you can determine how many, the ways that you're going to surface up that CTA to the customers who land on your webpage. So in addition to like that's that typical hero image that people have with that headline, subheadline, and the mm -hmm. CTA button, where can you add buttons or calls to action within your copy below that? So a lot of times, I see folks who have a CTA at the top of the page and then they have their features, they have their testimonials, they have you know, screenshots of the product and the page is very long and has lots of great information, but there's no call to action within those, those pieces of content. So folks are scrolling through and they're like, oh, okay, I kind of understand, I kind of understand, but you could lose them if they have to like say, you know, get to the bottom of the page and there's no like obvious call to action there. There's a chance that they might be like, oh, that's cool and then they move off. But if you have, you know, not too much, but just enough um, calls to action within your content, then at any moment, if like a particular testimonial is really winning that person over and they say, yeah, I actually will try this product because this testimonial is amazing, there's a CTA button right there for them to click and then move forward. So that is something I see also a lot in these landing pages is a lack of, of repeated calls to actions in a, in a you know, not overwhelming way, making sure you have just enough so you can capture that attention when people are ready to click through. What would be your best uh, tips for a SaaS founder looking to hire their first uh, designer? Yeah, that's a hard one, you know, and it's, it's yeah. so hard <laughs> to find the right person and there's lots of different place to, places to find the right person. You know, and before hiring, again, I, I do think that every founder should have some sort of understanding around design. It's part of the reason why I wrote my book. So yes. it helps the person evaluate the person that they are, they're trying to hire. It makes, you, it makes it easier to have a conversation with potential designers. If you already have an idea of the way you, you know, let the person have the ability to take the reins, but, but also ha as a founder, have an idea of the story you want to tell and the things you want to impart and the law that goes into design. So it helps you create that narrative that you can pass along to designer and work more effectively. So A, number one, have, um, have some sort of basic understanding design before you um, and user experience before you go on hire. 
And then number two, then it's, you know, a lot of it's related to how your business is built. And do you have the revenue support a full-time designer? Perhaps you do, and that makes it, then you can go out and fi try to find a full-time designer to work with you. And that can be really awesome because you have someone who's like dedicated to your project at a full-time capacity, but most founders don't have that ability. So you're looking at part-time con contractors. Yes. And that's where you can look at, say, like Upwork and whatnot. And that process can be hard because you might have to go through a few folks before you right, find the right person, but utilize those, those reviews and look at those, the, you know, having that design background is going to make it easier for you to look at folks' portfolios and see if they are following principles for design, you know, um, mm, okay. for effective landing page design. So say, you know, if a person's portfolio looks beautiful, but you notice that their copy that they have on these like landing page designs that they've created are really super long and really hard to read, you know this person doesn't have an understanding of how design affects, how, how copywriting design and landing page mm -hmm. design are working hand in hand. Maybe you don't wanna work with that person. So finding a designer who not only creates good looking work, but understands the principles around conversion and how to use design to make things more compelling for people to click and move on to being customers is very important. And so for a founder, you need to have an understanding of what that looks like so you can find the person who also understands that. Absolutely. Why did you decide to write a book instead of creating a course? <laughs> yeah, that's, um, it's, a, it's, I love that, that, phrasing um, because I originally did do a course and it's not obvious now because I've removed it from the internet. The whole story around Hello Web Design is that it was originally a self-published book. Um, and I've self-published two books so far that around learning, you know, like well, Hello Web Design is teaching design to folks who are non-designers. I also wrote two f books before that teaching web app development for folks who are more design oriented. So those are called Hello Web App. Um, so Hello Web App and Hello Web Design kind of work together. Mm -hmm. So when Hello Web Design was self-published, I did play around with running a course, having the book. The thing is, running all these things is a lot of time. And when I was hired with Tiny Seed, obviously that was not something I had the time to do, is to maintain a course and work with customers and do the support and all that. So I ended up partnering with No Starch Press, that's my publisher, and I sold mm -hmm. uh, the, the rights for Hello Web Design to No Starch. There's a lot of advantages here. Uh, you know, in addition to saving myself a lot of time in terms of support and fulfillment and printing and all of that, I was able to make updates to the book and move it, you know, large, it's an evergreen book. It's, it's not reliant on current technology, so it can be useful to anyone at any part of, you know, where the internet has evolved. Yep. Uh, so it's an evergreen book and no starch was also is also has the, the ability to get into bookstores which was really cool for me because i was in portland and powell's bookstore is a you know very uh famous independent bookstore in portland and i was able to it's on my twitter page um walk through uh, powell's kind of through the maze of powell's and find my book on a shelf and so nice. that was really amazing. Um, <laughs> because it's with this publisher, I don't really, you know, A, I don't really have the ability to do a course. Um, I think I could with them, but really the, the, the thing with not doing a course now is because of my full-time job at Tiny Seed. So it's kind of the best of both worlds for me, where the book is out there, it's still being supported by the publisher. Um, I, can, I am making royalties from it, which is cool. A lot of nice. folks who work with the publisher, you know, never pay back their advance, and so you never get to the point of royalties, yep. but I have officially paid back my advance, and I'm starting to get royalty checks, which is really exciting. So I'm in a really good place with the book right now. 
Thank you for the transparency. I really appreciate it. And what do you actually do at the Tiny Seed? How does your day-to-day job look like? <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I'll, I mean, my career has always been a, been around helping folks do things better. And I know that's super generic, but like before this, I had a startup and my startup was working with small businesses in the wedding industry and trying to get them more customers and more people to work with. And then when I wrote these books, it was, all right, there's folks out there who are struggling with development and then people who are out there who are struggling in design and what can I write to help them become more effective at those two things? With Tiny Seed, it's kind of an evolution of that where I get to work with, um, at this point, we have over 200 founders in our portfolio what can I do with my role at Tiny Seed as program director to create education, create a, you know, a system for them to become better, like not, not more better, but like more effective founders, you know, get them the just enough information that they need for all the parts around founding a company, sales, uh, you know, marketing, funnels, pricing, design, all of those things, hiring, what can we do? as an accelerator to make people more effective in these areas so they can execute faster and therefore their companies have a, a higher chance of, of get, getting into like that true product market fit and then moving into a point where it's like a full big sustainable company. So my, my day-to-day job is, is around just running the program. I was the first person hired at Tiny Seed. I work with um, Robin Enar, oh. the two founders. and. You know, I've been able to, with my role, kind of help formulate the accelerator program and choose the, you know, work with the mentors and really just like facilitate how, you know, or like help these founders uh, build their companies in a way. And it's, it's really fulfilling. You know, I'm there for the founders as they have their successes and things are growing. And then when they're in a hard part, then I can use the tools at my disposal to help them, you know, figure out how to get around the problems that they're facing. It's really quite fun. That's fantastic. You have a great story and I'm super grateful to Rob for uh, introducing you to, to yeah. the podcast. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Uh, I don't want to disc- disclose any names, but uh, recently a very large SaaS, SaaS company did a rebrand and I've heard that they paid over 100 million for the rebrand. I wanted to ask you, when do you think is the right time for a SaaS company to, to do this uh, rebranding? <laughs> and oh, why that is a good question. You know, that is something that I think only in my opinion, makes sense for later stage companies. For If you're doing the full rebrand, the ones that when you land on a famous designer's website and they can see that they've done this like crazy rebrand for big company and they've updated all of their everythings, like their, to like, you know, their landing pages and their inside and all their, their business cards and their letterheads and everything like that. Uh, that is something that like a later stage company uh, has the resources to do, usually has the money to run those kind of things, and has the amount of customers and infrastructure and history and whatnot that to require that process to be more thoughtful, which generally requires a higher quality designer to run those things. Um, when you're doing things as a smaller, more early stage or middle stage company, you don't need to do like the full, like thoughtful process of a rebrand and working with, uh, you know, flashcards and post-it notes and all the little rebranding exercises that you might see when you're looking at like how to do a rebrand. 
because what you're doing at those stages is just like, how can I get more customers or work more effectively with my customers? And you can break those things into smaller bits and focus really on, on, on those areas rather than how do my customers perceive me? Because the only, the only time you really need to change the way the customers perceive you is if you have that super huge audience that you really need to you know, kind of work on like a, a really large level. But small and medium-sized brands, you need to work on a smaller level and just continually like chase after those, those little issues. Um, it's tempting when you're looking at your website and be like, ah, I just wanna have like a full refresh on all of this and just redo everything. But oftentimes for a small and medium brand, that is a lot of work, a lot of time. And then you're not really looking at the metrics or how things are working when you're doing this rebrand. Uh, so the new design might have all the problems of the old design. And then you just did a visual refresh without really fixing the problems that are underneath. So. Big, big rebrands are really sexy and cool and a lot of people love talking about them, but those are for large brands. Really just focus on the things are, that are working and not working uh, until you get to that level. Thanks for sharing. Um, how can founders, starting founders, align their copywriting and their design so they uh, tie in and uh, it's uh, all working great? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, copywriting really should come first and getting, move your copy outside your website and into something like Google Docs and lay out mm -hmm. everything that the, the landing page is gonna say, lay out everything that the pricing page is gonna say, you know, and do that on several different pages and then work on refining that copy. So, you know, making sure it's not too long, making sure you have those bullet points, making sure it's skimmable and then bring in outside eyes. You know, take it to someone and say that maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with your website or isn't the current customer and say like, what do you see? What does this tell you? Do you, are your questions answered? And would you click this like theoretical button saying move on to buy? So you can do that with non-customers, might give you some amount of information and you can do that with customers as well. You know, maybe reach out to a few high value customers you have and say, you know, we appreciate you as a customer and think that you're an expert on this product. We're looking at doing this brand refresh. There's a Google Doc here. We can send over a Google Doc and make it easy. Would you take 15 minutes of your time and tell us your thoughts? And so work on the refining process on your copy first, because when you move into design, then you can roll whatever design updates you have around the new copy. So if you're shortening your features, uh, the way that you're writing about your features, maybe you wanna lay that out differently on the page. Whereas if you worked with design first, perhaps you have decided on this, this way of, of laying out your features that worked really well with the prior copy, but when it goes shorter, it looks weird. Maybe there's too much white space at this point. So copy first, then work on the design changes. A designer you hire is going to, it's, it's ideally have those design changes in place first. And then ideally that designer would have copywriting or like understanding copywriting experience or understanding around effective copywriting for conversion. And they can also give you feedback and say if things are working or not working for them. But just have those initial places, changes in mind first. I appreciate it. I appreciate the, the advice. Um, apart from your book, which I'm already really curious to read and uh, to order, <laughs> what are the resources can SaaS founder access to learn more about design, copywriting, conversion, uh, op optimization, yeah. conversion rate? Yeah. User Onboard is my favorite resource to point people to. Um, Samuel Hulick is actually a mentor at Tiny Seed. Uh, brought him on as a mentor because he's so amazing in his website. I was like, we have to get him on as a mentor. 
and his website, user on board, I forget the, if it's .com or something else, uh, but if you search for user on board, you'll find it. Okay. He has collections of slides and videos walking through the onboarding process in major websites with notes about things that are working and not working and the ideas of why things are not working. And it's a very effective tool to learn about all those things that goes into designing for conversion, especially because the onboarding sequence is one of the most important parts of, of, your, um, of your page. It's a good way to go through these slides and see what he points out and you kind of can start training your own brain to do that yourself. And so you're kind of looking at these examples, reading all the tips that Samuel has out there, learning from it, and then you can become a better designer. So the number one main one I would always recommend is user on board. But firstly, to read your book, to have the principles. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> they awesome. go hand in hand, really. My book, yeah. I mean, I should mention that my book is... I, there wasn't a lot of books out there that focus on the visual side of things. There's a lot of things around on user experience and mm -hmm. you know, like the user onboard stuff is a lot of it's just user experience. And my book is really there for folks who are like, I struggle on the visual side of things. I struggle on white space. I struggle on uh, choosing colors and fonts and whatnot. And so that's why those two things kind of work hand in hand is that if you're like, okay, visual stuff for non-designers and then lots of user experience resources on the web already that um, should be reviewed. I have two questions left for you more on the personal side. Firstly, I love to hear how you started your career right from, uh, from, right from the start. Ah, you know, it's funny because I, you know, I mentioned that I've written a book on like on web app development that's using Python and Django and mm -hmm. as a designer. And both those things are kind of how I got started. I started building websites when I got a computer. You know, I'm nearly 40 at this point. Uh, I got a computer in the early 90s, so earlier than most folks. And so I've been on a computer for most of my life. Very lucky awesome. to have a 14.4K modem and have access to that early internet. And I got started doing HTML based websites. And, you know, that kind of started my, my love for having the ability to create things for the web. And so I went to computer science at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It's a great school for computer science thinking, okay, I love websites. I love building them. I love working with people or I'll learn how to program. Turns out that theoretical programming is not my thing. <laughs> and you know, learning how to break down a, a sorting function in Java and write a paper about all the different ways that these sorting functions work, not my thing whatsoever. <laughs> and so I quit um, computer science, I switched over to art and my whole, my thought process there was no computers ever. I, well, maybe for my work, but I didn't want to like build things for the web anymore. I was so burnt out from computer science oh. that I wanted to get into package design. But I you know, met someone I had, a, well, I had an old friend um, in San Luis Obispo starting a startup and they needed a designer and I was still doing things for the web. I didn't know CSS at that time and CSS was just starting to become a thing. So I started working with these guys in a garage on folding tables, building these well, websites, taught myself CSS. I ended up working in this company for about four years and unfortunately I didn't have a, as a startup, didn't have like, they were, you know, there's like a lot of startup stories out there. And one thing I would always counsel is for people to get things in writing before you join a startup, because then things can have a better chance of going well. Uh, I ended up leaving that company because I realized that I was being taken advantage of. But the experience of learning, like working at a startup 
and being in this constant state of learning, of teaching myself CSS and then all the other skills I needed to, do, to learn while at this company, utilizing my art degree, utilizing my, my love for building things on the web, really launched me into what I do today. Incredible. Well, thank you so much for, the, for sharing your story. So now uh, the last question, I wanted to ask you, what are the top three favorite SaaS products that you use as a designer? Or just uh, for your work, let's see. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to. Uh, this is the, it's gonna sound like an ad because I'm gonna mention all Tiny Seed products, but it's, <laughs> it's a lot no because one, is. Of, <laughs> one of the reason why we, we like we funded these companies that we were fans of them, and then of course because I work with these founders and I can see their their work, I become even larger fans of them. And so of course I'm gonna mention them. Um, so of number course. one is savvy is Savvy Cal, and that's one by Derek Reimer. And it's a calendaring solution. It's a competitor to Calendly, which a lot of people use. But you know, mm -hmm. Derek looks at Calendly and said, how could this be better? And it's so much better. And so SavvyCal is a really well-working product. I think it's also a great example of good design. Designer um, Derek this is a great designer. And his landing page is usually my first thing to show folks when I'm trying to talk about effective landing page design, generally taking the SavvyCal.com, because um, you can see all the principles I mentioned in action in a really good way on his website. But the product itself is really great too. Uh, other SaaS products, um, and now my brain is going brain because it's my first thing I always say is Savvy Cow, and I love them so much. Um, user list is really great. That's one of our founders, uh, Jane and Benedict are Jane, are running. Yeah, yeah. We, we and Jane Portman on the, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, and so like that's a you know. Again, tying in my love for design with a well with a well working product. Uh, user list is a suite of tools around. Let me see if I can make sure I have their, their description right because they do a lot of great things. So um, email automation that meets challenges of B2B SaaS, email marketing platform. Yes. So yes. They've, they've gone through a few different iterations. It's a gorgeous product. It's super well working. If you're looking for email marketing and alternative to things like I think Intercom and some of those tools that those tools have that can be really expensive, take a look at user lists. And Man, now I have to figure out who my last person is. I'm gonna have a whole bunch of founders who are mentioning me, who are gonna be like, why didn't you talk about my company? <laughs> so let me just go through and see who my, my next favorite would be. And, oh gosh, now I'm looking at my page of logos and I'm like, how can I not mention any of these folks? Uh, <laughs> It's, it's my, we all do a non-tiny seed company. I know. I'm just like, I, I want to I want to promote the folks that we're working with, but I can't think of the right person to do. You know, I'm going to mention one other company. Um, Derek, another Derek, uh, he's doing, he's working on a company called Philjoy. And, you know, moving away from like marketing tools for the internet, Philjoy is creating tools for, uh, say, bulk sellers. So if you go to a store that is selling bulk products like nuts and seeds and flowers and whatnot, and you have to fill your container and you bring it to the front and you have to figure out how to tear the container and make sure that you're not paying for the weight of the container, only the product. It's something that I am passionate about. I'm, I tend to be more eco-friendly and I try to use things that are um, using less plastic and using bulk refills is something that I think most people want to do, but is a pain in the butt to do it. And so he's working on tools to make it easier for folks to work with bulk resellers. Um, and. Uh, just make it easier for consumers to utilize this. Uh, maybe just as easy as going to the store and buying something as prepackaged, but instead of doing prepackaged with a lot of plastic waste, you know, bringing your own containers to the store and um, getting those products. So shout out to a uh, a tiny seed company that is building something that is um, 
I think a, a solution that we're going to need moving forward in the world that we're in right now in terms of plastic waste and eco-friendliness and everything that's happening. Is there anything else that you want to mention on today's podcast? Hey, sorry, but one more, can you repeat that? Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about on today's podcast? Anything else? I think I hit all the, all the big tips, all the things. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for joining. I really liked your story and uh, it was a fantastic conversation. I, I did not expect it. Really, really yeah. great topic. And uh, I think it's, a, it's really helpful for founders. So thank you so much. I'm super grateful. Thank you for having me. <laughs>